This episode is brought to you by Evermill. Evermill makes the world's most elegant spice rack that features text-to-refill organic spices in compostable packets, as well as a suite of kitchen products that help you cook so you can focus on sharing meals with the ones you love. This episode is brought to you by Equipped. Equipped is a modern luxury fitness brand that creates stylish, compact, portable, and versatile fitness equipment that will inspire you to move anytime, anywhere, whether you have half a minute or half an hour. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. This is episode 132, and today I sat down with Amy Schechter, the CEO of Everbody. Everbody opened its first location in New York City in 2019, pioneering a first-of-its-kind approach to cosmetic dermatology, offering a curated collection of clinically tested face and body treatments delivered by trusted medical professionals and designed to deliver natural-looking, not obvious-looking, results in under 60 minutes. Amy shares her impressive career journey from working at incredible brands such as Foot Locker, Diesel, DKNY, Juicy Couture, Cole Haan, Tory Burch, Sea Wonder, et cetera, et cetera, and how she earned the CEO title three times at Core Power Yoga, Glam Squad, and now at Everbody. We talked about the importance of crafting your own brand, how she raised $94 million in just 11 months and what she does during an all-hands meeting each month to ensure her team is being acknowledged for their hard work. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and you can check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Hi, Amy, how are you doing today? I am great, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I'm so excited to hear how you have become CEO of Everbody. You're a 3X CEO now. Yes, I am. Wow. <laughs> Does that make <laughs> I'm not saying that in an ageist way. I'm saying that that's an incredible, I think you might be, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but like the first three times CEO we've had. And that's an, you have an incredible, inspiring career. So I'm very excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. Excited to share. Awesome. So let's start, I guess, real quick with a, what is Everbody in your words? And then we'll dive into your childhood and, and how you got to where you are. Okay. So Everbody is a new brand that launched um, a couple of years ago, focused on creating an experience for cosmetic dermatology that is personalized, it is led with expertise, and it is very, very inclusive. We are eager to add transparency to 
the experience. We are focused on our customers and our providers. And we're one of the first in the industry to launch a very comprehensive education program prior to any of our providers going into stores and, and working. Amazing. And so where are you calling from today and where are you from originally? I am calling from New York City. Our headquarters is in New York City and I'm originally from Boston, outside of Boston, a suburb outside of Boston. A suburb outside of Boston. What was it like growing up? What kind of kid were you? I am the youngest of four girls. Wow. Yeah. That's was, a lot of sisters. Yeah. And parents who were devoted to one another and to to us as a family, as a bigger family. Very interesting European parents grow, grew up with a little bit more of a traditional background. We had family lunches and dinners on Sundays that you were required to attend. There were no phone distractions, but you know, all the cousins came together on Sundays and and really grew up with a very strong sense of purpose and a strong sense of family. Coming from four girls, definitely grew up in a very structured home. There were a lot of rules. And I think that's also having European backgrounds, like with four girls, there were rules. Where in Europe is your, are your parents from? My parents Russian nice. and there were ways to do things and ways not to do things. And I think, you know, hard work was definitely one of them. I, I do remember doing chores as, as young as I can possibly imagine. I had like a feather duster in my hand from the time I was, I don't know, three or four. That was my job was, you know, to dust, but everyone had a job and you had to do your job every week. And, and I would say with it, it was, you know, we laughed a lot. We sang a lot. We danced a lot. And, and grew up um, as a very close-knit family. And when you look back at your childhood, are there any kind of early signs of your interest or desire to be a leader? So I was a competitive athlete. And, you know, I think there is some, I, I think there's a thread that that happens when you are a competitive athlete. It was in sports when I was younger um, throughout high school and and I was an equestrian so I competed all the way through college and I do think that you learn something about being a competitor that gives you tools that I think are helpful as you begin to explore the world and become a business become a business person what would you say are some of those tools well, you know, the sports that I did when I was younger, it was a team sport. And as an equestrian, you're an individual. What was the team sport that you played? Everything, field hockey, basketball, softball. I, I did them all. I was definitely, you know, a jock. And as an equestrian, I started riding when I was probably four and competing by the time I was my first little mini trophy, I think when I was seven different kinds of, of tools, being an individual rider with not necessarily, didn't have a team until I was in college, to team sports. So learning to be 
symbiotic with a team is something that's essential to the team's success. You know, it's not about you as an individual when you're on a team, it's about how the team works together to create success. And I think really learning that makes for a successful team. And as an individual, as an equestrian, the interesting thing about riding um, at a collegiate level is you ride a horse at a university that you've never ridden before. So there's the home team advantage when it's at your university, but you pick a horse out of a hat and you have to get on that horse, develop a relationship within minutes because you get on the horse and then you ride your competition. You have to develop a rapport and a relationship in 10, 15 minutes, and then you have to go and try and win your individual class. With an animal, which could, I feel like, I mean, I don't have like, I have very little experience with horses. So I'm just like, how does that even work? Like, how do you even, horses scare me in the first place, but in the second place, I'm wondering, how do you build a relationship with an animal that quick? Yeah, I mean, you, you learn to really tap into your, body and your mind in a way that is a little bit spiritual. And I think that you have to evaluate, assess, develop a rapport and connect in an instant. And then you have to go into your class and achieve and may sound crazy, but those are tools that I bring into any situation I go into, you know, analyzing, assessing who I am with, what makes them tick and, and how I can best captivate that audience with the right messaging and, and the right rapport. It's so interesting. The way that you talk about that is actually so similar to the modeling industry. I modeled for years and the job of having to go into meeting new people all day long and try to develop some sort of rapport with them in like 30 seconds of a meeting. And there's like a line of other girls and other models behind you. So the competition is so high. You don't even know what they're basing their decision on in the first place. You're just trying to find a way to connect. It's crazy. And it's just like what you're saying with this, like all of these things have to happen. You're analyzing them and you're trying to position yourself in the right way for this, you know, opportunity to connect. I see that. I've been on the other side of looking at models and definitely it's similar because you have moments to make a difference in the eyes of the panel that is right. the judges um, interviewing you. Yeah. And yeah. I think that it's um, a little bit art and it's a little bit science. Obviously you have to have what they're looking for, but also really understanding how to do it is something that I take with me all the way through today, trying to raise money. You know, I raising money is not easy. We didn't get there yet, but raising money is easy. And as a woman, it's even harder, right? 2% of funding last year went to women-led businesses or women-founded businesses. So the deck is stacked against you. Don't really know what they're looking for because it's mostly, most cases, a sea of men in their Patagonia Vests. So it's a language and a vocabulary that, you know, we're not necessarily taught, but yet we have to compete. And um, being able to 
to work that room in a way that is science and data and facts, but also rapport, relationship and engagement is is not necessarily easy. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to get into that topic because I think from the outside, obviously, as someone as experienced as you, it's kind of like, why is not money not just thrown at you? You know, it's like with all of your experience, how is it difficult? Right. But I can't wait to get into that. What did you want to be when you grew up? Kind of one more thing in the childhood and then we'll move past it. So I definitely always wanted to be in the fashion industry. I, I can remember, oh gosh, this is really going to date me. But I think I was like 13 or 14 years old and I applied to be Jody Jordan. Jordan's was a store in Boston, you know, local department store. And I think I was like 13 or 14. I was like, I want to be Jody Jordan and uh, apply to be, you know, the fashion girl of, of the department store. I was way too young to do it, but my mom let me do it. And I put myself out there. I did not get the job, but I, I always looked at magazines. There were magazines then it wasn't digital, um, looked at magazines and, you know, I was a ripper. I definitely ripped things out and stuck them on my wall and had me them all too. <laughs> <laughs> I had like a whole border in my bedroom of all these magazine pages. Yeah. I mean, it was fun back then. I made my daughter too. She, I made her buy magazines and rip because there's something so tactile about, you know, ripping those pages out and putting, sticking them on your wall. And I went to school in Massachusetts and I did an internship at Bloomingdale's in New York. And I was lucky enough to be asked to go back. And, and that really catapulted my career in, in fashion and, and living in New York. So you've had quite a career. You've spent almost 10 years in marketing at Foot Locker and Diesel. Uh, You're SVP of retail at DKNY. You led businesses um, over at Liz Claiborne for Juicy Couture and Laundry by Shelly Siegel. And at Cole Haan, you, I mean, you, have, you worked at Cole Haan and Tori Birch and See Wonder. So you have so much incredible experience. What are some of the um, biggest lessons that you've learned along the way that's helped prepare you to becoming a CEO? Definitely taking risks. There's no question about it. I have never stayed in a job because I felt like I had to. And I have never been afraid of not being able to do a job. I've applied for jobs that I've not felt as though I had all the experience needed for the job, but gotten the job because I had enough of what it takes. And I I don't know if you know this, but there's a Harvard business study that says that men go for jobs when they have like 25, 30% of what it takes to get the job. And women go for jobs when they have 90% plus of what it takes to do the job. So I'm a guy, basically. Because <laughs> that masculine energy. I'm like that too. I, I have this like false, um, I feel like assumption that I can pretty much do anything. Like I <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. I really believe that I could be like CEO of some massive company. My husband's German. He's like, you're crazy. That's like, that's not something you want to do. (laughs) I I feel the same way. I, I actually do. It's really a problem. It's definitely created a very unusual resume. You know, some people look at my resume and say, this is frenetic. You're a crazy person. And what I always say is my resume is my story of my brand. 
You know, someone told me very early on, you are not an individual working, you are curating and crafting your brand. My history, and, and it's quite a history, is the story is is my is my brand story and i'm really proud of it and some people look at my resume and say you know you're you jump too many times and i really don't have too many jumps that can't be explained well but for the most part i did things until i had to learn more and i think something that drives me and my advice to other people would be to always be a student. I was meeting with one of our team members this morning and um, it was a touch base. And I said to her, if you remain a student, you can always succeed and you will always learn more. If you go into an experience knowing everything, you lose out from what other people have to share with you. And I would say I have a point of view and it can be it can be changed often and frequently. It doesn't mean I don't have a point of view, but I'm always eager to listen and always excited to learn. So when you look back um, at your career and how you crafted your brand, what, what, how, in what way were you crafting it? Like back in the day, you're like, I'm going to craft my story. What kind of story were you looking to create? I was at uh, Foot Locker for a lot of years and, and doing quite well there. And someone once said to me, oh, you're a woman in a shoe dog and man's world. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I'm turning into like a shoe dog. And I didn't want to be a shoe dog. And I started to really think about this. I, you know, I went to school for business and fashion and marketing, and it's an amazing, amazing brand. And I got to work with Nike and Reebok and Adidas and Fila, and it was an incredible experience, but I didn't want to be a shoe dog. And so I started to think, well, if I want to be in fashion, then what do I want to do next? And I knew I wanted to work for a fashion brand that had a very strong iconography and a very strong brand. And I was approached by the team at Diesel, who Diesel was back then um, the most expensive denim in the world. It was $99. And the average unit retail for denim in the U.S. was probably $49, Levi's and Gap. And nobody in the U.S. really knew what diesel was. and But my family had been in Europe and I had traveled a lot to Europe and I knew exactly what diesel was. And it was so irreverent and it was such a cool brand that I was like, yes, like I, I can see myself doing this and had the opportunity to help bring that very iconic and very interesting brand to the United States and globally. And it was an amazing transition. It was intentional. It was getting back into fashion. It was working for a global business. I traveled all the time to Italy, which was absolutely amazing. And it was a first step in um, getting back into the fashion world and being able to manage my career the way I wanted to. And, and people said to me, you know, you're crazy. You have a career here. You're going to be amazing at Foot Locker. And 
and that's probably true, but having the ability to get back into a global brand that was such such an iconic brand and and have the runway to change an industry's perception of denim was something I was really excited to do. I remember Diesel. I remember in the early 2000s, they had that big store on Broadway, I think it was. Lexington Avenue, yeah. I worked above the store with the dryers in the store and... We had um, a DJ on weekends and food upstairs. Really, where we had a dance party, a dance floor in the store, and it was it was very experiential. And you know, I I do have to say, like I, I worked for brands that were focused on exper- customer experience, which was was an amazing opportunity because. Um, sometimes when you work for a company, you're not necessarily working for a brand. And I was able to work for companies that were brands who were focused on the tone and the representation and the experience and the service. And it really taught me a lot about what is important as you go to develop a brand. And so from Diesel, you went to DKNY and Liz Claiborne, Colhan, Tori Birch. What are some of the biggest challenges? that you faced in your career? I think, you know, some some things that are probably not as great to do is maybe saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I do have a point of view and it doesn't mean that it's always the right time to say it. And I think there were moments where I was so emphatic about ensuring that my voice was heard, that I didn't necessarily read the room and get the timing right on when and how to say it. I'm curious if that room was full of men because I've experienced that. (laughs) And I think if there was other women leaders in the room, it would have come across a little better, easier. I wasn't going to say it, but since you did, I'm happy to agree, which is One of the reasons why I was really focused on becoming a CEO. I can say from very early on, I've experienced different kinds of harassment and different kinds of chauvinism and and not necessarily something I, I enjoyed or liked. Um, it was a different era. It wasn't, it wasn't as if you could go to somebody and say, this is happening to me and somebody would listen it was more about you know, keeping it to yourself and and sucking it up and dealing with it. And I remember some of those conversations and they were not great conversations to have to be a part of. And I remember thinking once when a CEO just had no clue how to relate to people because at the end of the day, we're in the people business, no matter what we're doing. I thought to myself, if I'm a CEO, I am not going to be this kind of a CEO. And and I am not. And what, what do you mean by that? What's that kind of CEO that you're you're talking about or referring to? I think the best way to say it is that everything we do is about the team feeling empowered, heard, recognized, appreciated and excited to come to work every day and not scared. I mean, there were scare tactics. Like there, people were afraid of, you know, the person in the chair. And I don't think, and I I would hate to think that anyone is afraid of me. There's a certain amount of respect. I get that, but 
you can give a different point of view. And I think when I was growing up, there was the person in the chair, usually a man, and they owned the chair. And I would say that the best companies I've been in, everyone in the company feels as though they're contributing to the success. And, and I say very often, like, I, I can't do this. This is not, it's not my job to do this. It's my job to help craft a vision and to help clear the pathway and to buoy the team to reach the results. But we're in this together and it's about all of us creating success and we have to win together, we lose together, and we we develop ideas together. Some of the best ideas come from everybody other than me. And, and I love that. We're always in the people business. That is modern, you know, good leadership. I have also been on the other side of that where, you know, I had to learn I learned pretty early on. Well, it wasn't even early on. Honestly, this was like two years ago, <laughs> three years ago. I wish I could say, oh, this was back in the day when men knew better or like didn't know any better. No, this is when they knew better. And they still in the meeting were like, I, I think I was trying to get something across um, regarding marketing. And the, the guy who was actually a founder was literally like shut me down and was like, let me finish. And then I'm like, Okay. So I was quiet. Cause I was like, well, maybe I was being, maybe I was interrupting him and I would, didn't mean to do that. So I kind of, I stepped back and then he finished his talking and then they both finished talk their whole, and they left. <laughs> they were like, they just, he didn't acknowledge like, Hey Lisa, what were you trying to say? Like, no, no, no acknowledgement at all. It was, I mean, and there was even another time where we had like this feedback loop well, I asked for my annual review, which is like, why would I even do that? Like, why did I want that for myself? He's the boss. He should be telling me we're going to have an annual review, right? And so I'm, I want feedback. I want to learn how to be better. So we're having this meeting. And I, of course, have feedback for him too. Right, right. But he gives me feedback. And then I'm ready to give him his feedback. And he's like, you know, I think we should save this for another time. And literally never books another time to hear my feedback of him. I mean, like... Yeah. That, 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 that feeling that felt like great, right? what? Oh, that must have felt great. You know, that, oh, I that felt I felt so empowered. I felt like my voice really mattered. I felt like my opinion mattered. I mean, it's just it's it's just kind of laughable. It's sad, but it's laughable, I guess. You know, hopefully we're get, getting better. There are a few more women in leadership roles that are doing things differently, and and we can only hope that. Uh, the next generation coming up has participated in a very different kind of environment and that they are different kinds of leaders, whether they're male or female, he, she, them, you know, I applaud anybody's approach if it's inclusive and leads with kindness, because I, I really think that at the end of the day, that is what makes people excited to do a good job as if they're surrounded by people that care about them no not only for what they're going to contribute but care about what they did on their weekend and how their family is doing and i definitely care deeply about not only the people that work for me but the people in their lives as well because that's what it's all about so obviously lots of challenges many mistakes kind of made along the way 
And I guess advice you'd have for people in leadership roles or trying to speak up in meetings is to just do it, right? Or find the environment where you're allowed to do that, where that is a welcomed thing. Taking risks looks different for different kinds of people. You know, being able to speak in a meeting, coming up with an idea and presenting it, um, asking for time with your boss to get feedback or to give feedback. Those those are those are risks. And I think, you know, our culture has been that, you know, those those are things that you wait for, you don't ask for. And and I'm a big believer in if you don't ask, you don't get. And so I think it doesn't mean you're always going to get what you ask for, but asking for what you want is 100% acceptable. And you have to be prepared for what you're going to get, you know, because it may not be what you expected, but definitely not to be afraid to ask. I also think that you control what happens to you. As much as you're part of an organization, you have to be an active participant in what happens next. And a lot of people don't live by that rule. You can see from my resume that I did, there were situations that I didn't like. I, I wasn't learning. I wasn't being exposed. I was being passed over. I didn't like my boss, whatever it was, I left. And, you know, some people said, you know, that's quitting. For me, it wasn't quitting. It was serving me the way I needed to be served, which was to learn, to grow, to be acknowledged, to be challenged. If it's not what you want, there are, um, I always say to our teams that there are many people that, don't have the desire to like fight the good fight to get to the next level. And I'm really okay with that. They can get more responsibility, more exposure, have learned new tools in their toolbox. Administrative terms, it's a pro in place. You need pros in place. You need people that are get better and better and better at what they're good at. And then there are the people that have the drive and the desire to do more. And, and I think you have to take ownership for that journey. I think it is kind of risky. I think a lot of people, you know, out there building their career, especially if they want to be a CEO one day and they're trying to grow their career to, towards that path, I think there's a lot of pressure to stay at the company for two to three years, maybe four or five to really sharpen their teeth, you know, and they're afraid to leave in a few months if they're in a bad situation with a, a team that isn't working out for them or really allowing them to shine the way they can or, or were hoping to when they took the job in the first place. I think there's a lot of fear in leaving because it could look bad on their resume. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I also think that it, it's not bad to stay in the job and continue to learn, to do new things, to our brand is growing like crazy. And our teams, they're, they're doing so many things for the first time. You get to add that to your resume. It's amazing. So now I'm doing this and now I'm doing that and I'm involved with this. It's incredible. You're building the tools in your toolbox. But if that's not happening and you're, I, I, I was, I'm fascinated by this like quiet quitting thing. The, the whole thing on TikTok that's happening right now. Like the great resignation that's happening right now. It's, it's called quiet quitting where you actually don't quit, but you stay in your job and you just, you just work status quo. And uh, there's all this stuff taking place on TikTok, TikTok. So I like, I went down a deep, dark hole last night on TikTok, looking at 
quiet quitting to understand what it is and what are people talking about. And to me, it's like incredibly sad that that would be sensationalized as a good thing. I do not have the same opinion as some people out there, which is like quiet quitting. You just do your job. You work nine to five. You don't talk, take on any other work. How are you building your career and how are you challenging yourself to, to learn and do more? And I'm not a huge fan of quiet quitting. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's sage advice for, for young people, but I do think taking ownership for your career and building and learning and growing and challenging yourself and not being afraid, you know, not being afraid to network. I'm a huge believer that men are taught to network and women are taught to be quiet. And I think networking is a critical and essential element to success. Being able to walk into a room and introduce yourself to people that you don't know is, it takes courage. I'm literally that person. I'm that, I'm that person that's not very quiet. And I love going up to strangers. I went up to you. I don't know if you remember. I went up to you at the Shop Talk event. I think it was like 2019. I do remember. You do? I do. Yes, I do remember. I do. I was trying to remember where I met you. And I knew it was at Shop Talk. Yeah, it was like that female, I think that female founder kind of, uh, I forget what it's called, female collective or something. Yeah, it was yeah. Like a panel and you were on the panel, I think with a few other great leaders. And I went up to you after and I, I, I you, you actually, I think connected me to someone on your team because I was uh, working at Grin at the time trying to sell you guys Grin. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually it. went to your office, met with the woman you connected me oh, to. Cool. She gave me free product, by the way, at Glam um, Squad. It was amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that networking is, it's almost critical to success and you know, I, I, somebody reached out to me for a reference. I haven't spoken to them in ages, 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 and I loved it. And I was so happy to, to do that for him. Really. I felt honored. And, and I think that people are, they're afraid, they're afraid of the repercussions. You know, can I go back to that person that I worked with 10 years ago? Why not? Can I walk into a room and introduce myself to someone? someone that I admire. Why not? You know, again, the worst that can happen is you get a wah-wah and you know, okay, who cares? Like it's there. Most people are pretty nice, especially if you're in New York. I mean, I, I think if you're in New York at an event, people like expect you to come up to them or, you know, say hi and uh, yeah. yeah and, and it's our responsibility. I think I'm so passionate about it as a female CEO to, to help other women growing up to that want to be a CEO or want to get to the next level or want to fundraise. And I do like coaching on the side for fundraising and, and mentoring to help people think about their pitch deck and what they say and how they show up. And I, I just don't think it's, it's not a language that we've been taught and the best that we can do is learn from those that have done it well. And I've been fairly successful with fundraising. And if I can help somebody get to the point where they get a yes instead of a no, or just, you know, dealing with getting so many no's, I've gotten so many no's. I, I like, I don't have enough fingers and toes to, to count the no's. 
really understanding how it's all stepping stones, right? No's are not their no's, but like why and how can you do it better next time? Or finding the right partner is more important than a yes. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. When was the last time you looked in your spice drawer? If you're like me, you probably have to look at it every time you cook, which is a lot. And it looks like a complete disaster. Different size seasonings, different brands, it's a mess and totally uninspiring. That's until I discovered Evermill, the most beautiful and inspiring spice rack I've ever seen. And it looks gorgeous both on your countertop for everyone to see and compliment, or it looks great in your spice drawer too. Not to mention, they send you refills and compostable packets that you can get to delivered straight to your door simply by sending a text message. So if you're looking for an amazing gift idea, you have to check it out. They also just released two new products, a white marble salt well and an aluminum pepper mill, perfect for the person who you think has everything. You can get 15% off by using the promo code stairway15 on evermill.com. That's 15% off site-wide for the first time ever using the code stairway15 at evermill.com. Do you struggle to find time to go to the gym or even just work out at home somehow? What about the ugly weights you're probably hiding in your closet or under your bed? Out of sight, out of mind, am I right? Meet Equipped, a female-founded luxury fitness brand with a no-pressure approach to movement that creates gorgeous weights that look so good, you can place their U-shaped weight called the U-bar on your coffee table and your friends will probably think it's a new art piece. Or if you're on the go, just throw on their U-wrap super stylish vegan leather ankle weights so that you can get a little workout in while running your errands in style. Featured in everything from Vogue to the Financial Times, Equipped makes it easier to move through life. And if you're looking for a great gift idea this holiday season, you can get 20% off on EquippedMovement.com using the promo code STAIRWAY20. That's 20% off luxury fitness equipment using the code STAIRWAY20 on EquippedMovement.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. Your first CEO role was at Core Power Yoga in 2014. Can you talk about how that opportunity came about and then also how kind of the opportunity to be CEO of Glam Squad came about? I was in the fashion industry and I had made a very intentional decision that it was time to do something else. And um, I wasn't quite sure what that was going to be, but I got a phone call from a recruiter who was interviewing sort of retail people for boutique fitness. And she put me forth as, as a potential for the CEO role. And it was based in Denver, Colorado. Um, and I was based in New York City and my family did not want to move. And so I made the difficult decision to take the job and to commute Monday through Friday from New York to Denver. Oh my gosh. So you would have to get on a plane, what, Monday mornings or did you have to go Sunday night? Um, I did a combination of both. Um, I left either Sunday night or Monday morning. If I left on Monday morning, I left at, you know, 545 in the morning so that I could get to the office by nine. Um, and with the time difference, I was in the office by about 915 and left Thursday night, got home at like one o'clock in the morning, Friday morning, 
and had a full work day and then did that all over again. And wow. And you have kids with, yeah, with I have a young daughter and she was younger then. And, um, it was tough. It was definitely tough, which is one of the reasons why I had to, to stop doing it. I love the company and I loved, I actually loved Denver, but it just was a very challenging situation as a, as a mom, one of the more challenging moments for me. And when I started to think about what was next, I made the conscious decision that I didn't know enough about a technology-based business and that I wanted to add that skill set to my background. And so I started to interview with digital first businesses. And it was fascinating. Before we get into that, because I'm just so curious, I feel like that is such a, when you took that role, I mean, that's, you were there for two years and that's 90% of your week was spent away from your family, from your daughter tucking her in at night. I mean, I have a kid, I have a 16 month old and like, I hate not being able to tuck him in for one night. I mean, imagine, I can't imagine how hard that really, really was for you. And I'm just curious, knowingly went into that, were you thinking, I need this CEO title because this is a game changer career-wise? Is that where your mindset was? And you're like, I'm just going to put in my time because I know it's going to be worth it in the end. Yeah, I think um, it was part that. It was also, I loved the brand and the people. I met the people in that company and I felt like, it was special. It was unique, a great private equity firm. You know, everything was really right. And getting your first CEO role isn't easy. And it's even more difficult as a woman. And somebody said to me along the way, and I, I had other opportunities as well, but somebody said to me, take it and do your time, even if it isn't a forever thing, because it will, it will be a game changer for your resume. It was definitely difficult. I, there were days where I was a little teary at 5am leaving the house, you know, kissing my daughter on her forehead and leaving for the week. And, and in some cases, weeks at a, you know, weeks at a time, not easy to do at all. And I think it's just, part of what was required to get that next level of responsibility. And that was a job that in full disclosure, I, I could not travel like that anymore. I, I could not leave my family. And, you know, I, someone asked me once when I was talking about this, someone said, if you were a guy, if it were your husband and it were you home, do you think they would have stayed at the job? And it's a very interesting question. And I've, I've asked men that, um, and some say yes, and some say no. Some say like, I want to be there for talking in, and I want to, I miss ballet recitals and sports events and, you know, the creative collective piano lessons and the piano concerts and all of those things. I missed a lot of those things being gone. And in other cases, people say no, like, I would have been okay. My wife would have been home and, and I would have been okay. But for me, it wasn't okay. It didn't, it no longer felt like it was the right thing for our family. Truth be told, my daughter was going on a field trip and the family had to decide if they would let her go because it was an away trip. 
And she looked at me totally straight face. She probably doesn't even remember this because she was so little. And she said, you don't get to vote because you don't live here anymore. Oh, ouch. <laughs> ouch. Was that like, uh, I mean, obviously that's a huge ouch. Were you like, did that, was that kind of the moment? Yeah, yeah. Knife in the heart moment where you're like, okay, maybe I should quit now. <laughs> that was the moment. And it she was. And my husband looked at me and he said, I don't know if being away is serving us as, as much yeah. as you think it is. But yeah, and I, I had been traveling a lot in my job before. So there were a lot of years that that I was traveling extensively around around the globe. And I I made the conscious decision that the next job was going to be based in New York. It was not going to be huge international travel. And it was going to be a digital first business. I I really wanted to get that experience and be a student of paid media, growth marketing, digital, you know, a, a front-end engineers, back-end engineers, product teams. I didn't have that experience. And I knew if I was going to be an effective CEO in the 21st century, I had to have that experience. And I loved Glam Squad. I was a user of Glam Squad. I, I was a top-tier customer of Glam Squad. And I got that phone call. I was like, I want the job. <laughs> yes. You're like, yes, please. Where do I sign? <laughs> yes. I definitely saw the enterprise value of it being a brand and unique and lots of opportunity for upward mobility and product, which we eventually launched. And we did an incredible partnership with CVS for GSQ by Glam Squad. So it was an amazing, amazing experience. And unfortunately, due to COVID, it, you know, I don't think anyone's prepared for a business to go from, you know, the best of the best to zero. And nobody was letting their, letting people in their home to do anything and nobody was going anywhere. So, so two reasons not to have Glam Squad. And I, as I started to look, look for what was next, I was approached by a recruiter for for this job, and um, I was fascinated by it. It was a culmination of everything that that I had done before. It's, it's a digital business. It's brick and mortar. It's a service oriented business. It's a brand, and I thought this is the right next step for me. And and I couldn't be happier. It is. It is an amazing, amazing company with an incredible group of people, an incredible leadership team that I, I actually wake up every day grateful that I get to work with the team that I get to work with, not only in the leadership team, but in the organization. It is, they're smart, they're kind, they're dedicated, they're passionate, and we're building a rocket ship. We really are. The fact that we've done two back-to-back -back raises in less than a year. It's, you know, less than 10 women have done two back-to-back -back raises in less than a year. We raised $94 million in 11 months. Wow, that's crazy. And so you were talking about it being challenging, but it sounds like it wasn't that challenging if you did two rounds, $94 million in 11 months. I mean, that's, that's, that's like, what challenges are you talking about here? <laughs> well, challenges of launching the next step of this business in a pandemic where what we do, you take your mask off for, not not where. There's vulnerability by working so closely with, with a, a nurse or a doctor. 
and wanting to open more stores with people hesitant to go back in and do services like this. But the trajectory for our industry is it's unlike really many things that exist for the next 10 years where we're going to go from as an industry about 70 plus billion to 130 billion in the next seven years. So the total addressable market is just enormous for this industry. Um, There was an article that came out last week that said, you know, is cosmetic dermatology recession proof? And I think the answer is yes. I think more people are seeing each other this way and um, how you look really impacts how you feel. And we're doing it differently. You know, we're leaning into men and women of color. We're leaning into LGBTQ plus. We're leaning into accessibility and luxury, but accessible luxury so that, you know, anybody really feels comfortable coming and having the services that we offer inside of our locations. And we teach a class as a part of our education program on pronouns and how to speak correctly to transitioning people and how to approach men and women of color with our kinds of services. And and the fact that we're, we're actually creating a new path for this industry is something that I'm really, really proud of. When you think about, you know, leadership, being CEO, what are some of the qualities that, and skill sets that you think make up a really great CEO? I think if you talk to anybody, I think the answer is always how they feel about people. I think a great CEO thinks about people first. So like servant leadership type of style. Yes. Yeah. I really do believe that no matter what you're doing, you are first and foremost leading a group of people to to help execute the job. And if they're not happy and motivated and recognized, then I don't think that it's a, a company that's driving to the best of their ability. I asked somebody who um, who works for us, I said, what is what is one of the fa- your favorite things about what we do? And we do this thing on the first Tuesday of every month. Everybody in the company is on a Zoom and everybody calls each other out in terms of what they've done well. And it's not coming from the leadership team. It's coming from everybody in the organization and everybody that's get that gets called out, their name goes in a hat and somebody in the company pulls a name out of the hat and that person gets a gift card for wherever they want to buy a gift, wherever they want to shop. And it's not about the gift card. It's about the fact that you're being recognized and acknowledged by not me. I I do plenty of shout outs on that call, but you're being recognized and acknowledged by your peers and fostering that kind of culture where people are asked to acknowledge one another and give kudos to somebody. They could have had a fight with them last week about something, but they're still appreciative and grateful for what they did on X. I always have goosebumps on that call and, and everybody loves it. You know, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's taking longer and longer, but it's really a wonderful expression of people who are motivated by people. 
Yeah. That sounds pretty awesome, especially because I think my love language is words of affirmation. So for me, that would just be like such a motivator. <laughs> well, you would get a lot of kudos if you did a good job. Be like, bring the kudos on. Let's go. I'll fly off the roof with all yeah. those kudos. It's funny because um, somebody will say, you know, X did this. And someone else say, I second that. I third that. And Oh, wow. You get lots of backups too. New yeah, like you get yeah, it's it's amazing. And they get three names in the in the hat. Oh, how does that work? So if you get like 10 kudos, does that mean you get 10 of your name in the hat? You do. Whoa. You do. That's really cool. I wonder what's happening behind the scenes. It's like, yo, Sally, you're gonna get a kudo for me, right? I'll split this gift card with you 50-50. <laughs> I don't know. I have to ask. I don't think they I think they forget. The, I'm already thinking about how to game the system. Yeah, game the system. That's right. You're already gaming the system. Look at you. <laughs> like, how do I win? <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. I never thought about that. No, I don't. I I think I'm going to have to go with integrity and purity. Um, well, I do, we'll, yeah, we'll think about that now. We'll have to get some of your employees on the show and be like, so. Exactly. Are you talking to so-and-so before? Yeah, who are you paying to uh, do a shout out for you? Yeah. So maybe something that people don't know about CEOs, like what is something that maybe they don't understand about the role? I always think it's responsibility, the amount, an overwhelming amount of responsibility that the CEO has. But I'm curious what your answer would be. Yeah, my, my first answer is, and here we go. I told you I was going to be vulnerable. I, I actually think sometimes it's kind of lonely. Like, you know, nobody, nobody thinks to say, you know, good job, CEO. You're just, you're expected to do a good job. And of course, you know, I have my board to say a good job, which is nice. And I have an amazing board that I love, but you know, there are moments where difficult decisions have to be made. And very often I don't have a person other than my board. I don't have a person in the company that I can go to and say, Hey, you know, this is happening. And I, I feel really crappy about that. Um, just guidance for me. I use my peers and my mentors and and my my board and and my friends to get to get sage advice but sometimes i think people in a company think that the ceo has to know everything and i'm definitely a ceo that doesn't know everything and so i think you know i have to tell people sometimes like i don't i'm asking because i don't know the answer um so i i do think sometimes it is it is, it's amazing. I love being the CEO. I love leading this team. I love setting a tone for a company, but there are moments where it's like, oh shit, I really wish I could talk to someone about this. Yeah, exactly. Help anybody there. <laughs> um, or just, hey guys, I'm human too. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, do. I I actually say that sometimes. My leadership team recently saw me cry about something and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm crying about this. And um, it was a vulnerable moment. And we already talked about vulnerability quietly before this all started. And, you know, I, I'm not a big crier, but it just something struck a chord in me. And I, I got emotional about something and, and I was like, you know, sorry guys to like throw in the tears. And everyone was like, no, this is amazing. This is, this is seeing something that is really impactful you. And so, you know, I'm not, not advising every CEO to go out there and cry, but 
I think, you know, showing my vulnerability makes me approachable. And, and I think personally, again, this is my leadership style. I, I think that it allows people to understand that I'm a person. I'm not a machine. I am a person with feelings and thoughts and, and I don't have all the answers. And I think it makes me approachable to know that, that, that I feel that way. Yeah. I hope it helps make people like feel more approachable or or the other way around. I feel like there's just a lot of, um, I find, I find that there's a lot of people that are intimidated by the CEO role, you know, and it's like, please don't view me that way. Please just don't just come to me with things. Let's talk about it. Let's not, you know, there's no reason to be intimidated, but I think a lot, and you know, most people are very intimidated by the, the CEO. Yeah. And sometimes I I feel like there's nothing we can do. I, I sort of know that. And I work really hard to like sit down at the table when everyone's sort of hanging and just talk about the food they're eating and what they did over the weekend. And, and give sage advice. I'll always give advice, especially like, oof, there's a lot of stuff going on in our company. And I'm I'm always ready, willing, and able to give a point of view about your weekend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your I'll give recommendations for great meditations and you name it. I'll I'll give it the food you should be eating, the food you shouldn't be eating. <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm just, curious yeah. how um I'm I don't know if you saw this on LinkedIn. I think this went viral a couple weeks ago where the CEO had to lay off a bunch of people and he did this video where he was like crying and you know like I have feelings too it was hard for me to let go of these people being in this role is not easy and this is I'm a human too there were so many mixed reviews about that there was people like shut up it's your job like get over it stop trying to make this about you There was like other people that said, this is wonderful that you're being vulnerable. It's good to see this. We need to see more of this. Where do you stand in that case? Um, I'm probably somewhere right in the middle. I think it would have been appropriate to express how someone feels about that. I think it was a highly emotive. I watched it and it was highly emotive, which I think was, you know, I'm not going to pass any judgment on it. It is what it is. I think personally expressing your your sadness and your concern and your dissatisfaction with what you had to do is is appropriate. I also think for me, it's like, well, what what more can you do? Like, can you create outsourcing programs? Can you create a network for this group? Can you connect them to friends and mentors and you know what what more can you do showing your action yeah yeah and that that's the only thing I thought of is I feel this way and this is what I had to do but I would take it a step further and say what more could we do to make it better absolutely yeah that would have been great to see as well. The, the emotion was effective but what what happens now you know after that it's like okay now we know how you all feel right yeah what could what can we do? You know, I think problem solving in that situation is, would have been helpful. I think there's also this mentality of like, could this have been prevented? Like, what could you have done better to not have this happen? Yes. Yes, true. And that's a hard pill to swallow too. It is. <laughs> I don't it think is. he was seeing that one coming. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know it's hard when you have to do layoffs. Layoffs are not, are not easy. Yeah. Yeah. 
So before we wrap up here, I know we're um, coming to time. I'm just curious, what did, what final advice do you have for those looking to become CEO and have such an incredible career? Maybe they want to be just like you three times CEO. What advice would you have for them? And then what's next for everybody? Yeah. So my advice for people that have the desire to get to the next level is first craft your vision. How are you going to get there? Create your mood board for um, the steps that you have to take and understand the skills that you need and how you're going to get them to get that job. I would say the other thing is understand, like meet with people and understand, are you a candidate who's ready in place? Is there more that you have to learn? Use your network to say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about the next step to CEO. What do you think about my resume and what would I have to do next? I I'm, I am a big believer in asking for advice. I ask for advice all the time from a lot of people, people out there, you know who you are. And I tap my network. I use my network effectively. And I would also say, if you are ready for it, begin to put your hat in the ring and start to interview, start to act as if you have the job in the job that you have and start to interview and hear what feedback you get around why you're being passed over for it, if you are being passed over. And then if you get the interview, you know, go for it, do your best. There's, you know, the imposter syndrome, which I think a lot of people experience, uh, everybody experiences it, I believe. And um, I think practice makes perfect and continue to interview and, and go for it. And, and if you have questions, ask, you know, ask people what you could be doing better. Absolutely. That's a great idea to ask why companies passed on you, because I think that's a really hard thing to want to know or to even ask, but to really say, Hey, why didn't I get that role? And what can I maybe do better? On that's show? right. I, I think you can learn a lot from that conversation. And then what's next forever body. Um, can I just say global domination? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. How big is the team right now? And how build how how much bigger do you guys plan to uh, grow? Yeah, so we we have four stores today. We have about eighty or ninety people within the organization. We're going to hire one hundred and twenty people this year, both in our stores and in our home office, mostly in our stores. We have a small HQ team. We are going to open another five stores this year. Um, we'll have nine stores at the end of this year, and we are going to roll them out next year. We just raised a lot of money. We have a lot of money to open a lot of stores. And I think, you know, the thing that I'm most focused on is, is being the best at this for everybody to be the best brand in this industry and to build an enterprise I, I really see this company as being a multi-channel business of education, product, global, telemedicine. I think we can be a multi-billion dollar brand and we're going to take it one million at a time. Um, and, and I think you have to have that vision in order to get there. 
Well, I think with you at the helm here, I, I think that this is a very, very, very large possibility. You're going to, you and your team are going to knock it out of the park. So I'm super excited for you guys. I'm excited about all the growth you have coming up. Congrats on raising $94 million. <laughs> it's incredible. And thank you so much for sharing your inspiring journey on the show. Thank you so much. And please, if you come to New York, please let me know. I'd love to have you in one of our stores so you could experience the wonder and magic of everybody. Yes, I can't wait. That would be amazing. And I want to hear about your West Coast rollout plans. Yeah. Yeah. Ambassador. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank All you, right. Amy. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.